Welcome to the Leadership Unscripted podcast presented by Hiring Strategies. The Leadership Unscripted podcast is your go-to source for all things people management oriented. In each episode, we discuss industry trends, problems, and more importantly, offer solutions. We are so happy you could join us. Hello, everyone. I am Kim Leifson with Hiring Strategies, where we teach organizations how to attract, engage, and keep top-performing employees. And leadership is one of those key things that attracts candidates to your organization. Leadership is responsible for engaging employees once you have them. And leadership is solely responsible for keeping good employees. So Leadership Unscripted is where we talk about all of that. Today, I am super excited to have my friend and former colleague. We actually, actually, she was a client of mine many, 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 many years ago. We're not going to talk about how long ago that was, Paige. Um, But now Paige is a CEO of Paige Mead Recruiting which is really well known for their expertise in the dental industry. Um, Paige has been doing recruiting and been in this industry for over 25 years. And it's her extensive network and her deep understanding of the dental industry that really have positioned her as a trusted ally for both startups and established companies alike, um, which makes her absolutely instrumental in shaping the dental industry's talent pool. So I wanted to pick her brain a little bit today about what she sees, what we're going to talk about, what we see in um, organizations around things that leaders are doing with the absolute best of intent that they think they think they're doing these things to, you know, increase results, um, to motivate their people, to get better outcomes in their organizations, but really what's happening is they're getting in their own way and it's causing them to lose trust with their employees and create cultures that even sabotage some of those goals. So Paige, welcome. Um, How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's nice to see you. You too. So tell me what are, let's just jump right in. What are some things that you see um, that leaders are doing that um, impact their ability to attract, engage, and keep good people? Hmm. Thank you. This is such such an interesting topic. Um, And I'm so pleased to be invited to to have this conversation with you. So thank you, Kim. Of course. you know, in the in the space that I work, we I very often am talking with company leaders who have had a a product, a service, something that has been held tightly in their hands, and now they're going to create a company around it. And um, and I think most of the things that I see kind of come from that that framework. So I don't know, do you want me to make you a list? You just want me to dive into to one at a time or? Go for it. Okay. About one, what I really want to, to go deep on is, you know, what are those things that, that they're doing? But I also want to talk about how do they, how can they solve that problem? 
let's talk mm. about the the um, answers to creating the opposite, which is an um, environment that's engaging and attracting the good people. So yes, I want to hear about what it what is the what is the problem, but let's work on a solution too, because I think um, with our experience inside lots of different, we have kind of a unique, mm. I think, opportunity because we're inside lots of different kinds of organizations. Oh, yeah. And so oh, we yeah. see what's working and what's not working. So I wanna talk about those solutions as well. Okay, okay, that's really that's really good. Um, and maybe just to kind of give um, your listeners a little bit more background on what I do while I'm in the dental industry, I'm not actually clinically recruiting. So I don't place doctors, I don't place hygienists and dental assistants. What I do is I work with the companies that are on the other side of the fence, making all of the products and services that clinical dentistry will use in their everyday operations. So my clients are manufacturers and distributors of all those products and services. So, um, you know, the example that I kind of started before about client, uh, a CEO that will be taking the product that they've always had in their own hands and they need to be entrusting their teams to manage it, but they can't get their fingers out of the business. So that's really um, one of the biggest ways that I see leaders getting in their own way is just hiring teams and people around them that have the right skills, but then not trusting them to actually do the things they were hired for. Sometimes that's because, you know, these, these creators, these company creators are oftentimes engineers or they are um, in some way so close to the product, it's a baby for them. So I think you can apply this across departments too with, with new ideas, with, with innovations, with any kind of thing. When you've got somebody who's used to cradling the baby giving it to the team that they've hired to do the work they're supposed to do, but then taking it back and not being able to really let go. I think that's one of the biggest things that I see. Yeah. How do you approach that when you see that? What sort of advice do you give them? What sort of coaching do you give them to encourage them to get outside of that? What success have you had? It's hard. You know, the really... Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I do actually have a, a list of, of things we could go into. In fact, when you invited me to be part of this conversation with you, I texted a bunch of my, um, my, my favorite leaders, knowing that they would be honest with me about some of these things. So I actually have a little list we can get into. Love it. Um, but when I'm in that situation and I am quite frequently, um, the coaching that I give to these leaders is trust is a muscle. Mm. Trust is a muscle. You have to use it and practice it and be deliberate about it. It is, it is for them. Well, I like the baby analogy because, you know, if in, in the truest sense, you can't go out and get the date unless you leave the babysitter with the baby and you have to pick the right sitter, which most of these leaders can do, but letting it happen is is a, a process of doing that on purpose. Yeah. And sometimes it might be, 
you know, um, well, okay. So I have, have a specific client in mind and, and he created this, this amazing software, hired the right people to sell it. Then these people know the clients, they have relationships, all these other pieces are in place, but he insists on going into the sales meeting with his team and just kind of stomping all over the sale. And it's, you know, you understand because you know he's he's a technician. Yeah. And he knows how this product that he's created really functions. But he's not the one who relationship builds and who does the other things in place to get the product from his hands to somebody else's. So, you know, I've seen him go into meetings and just kind of blow up the the activity with all the information he wants to share about his baby. And so, you know, there he will be and he's got his sales leaders and his relationship builders there and they can't get an, a word in edgewise yep. because uh because he won't. He won't let them do. So, you know, in his situation, I think it's sometimes baby steps really to do uh, one trust exercise at a time. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it sounds like it, it takes a long time and it's a lot of effort. Really it's, it's exhausting for that person to, to take their hands off and, um, and let something else happen. But I also think it's one of those situations where there's some immediate success and, and reinforcement when he uses that trust muscle. So it, it really is, I think, um, putting it in those terms for him was something that made a difference because he could start to see what his responsibility was in the situation. Okay. I do have to, I do have to trust, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, I think I can, I think I can, but, but that's really where we got to. And that was it. a step at a time and purposefully, it feels awful to yeah. him, but it has to happen. Yeah. I think what's helped me in those situations also is helping them look at what is your end goal? Like, what do you want to happen? What is the ultimate um, expectation? And by you doing X, that's getting in the way of that occurring. I have a client um, as well who has been calling me for 10 years. I'm not kidding. 10 years because he wants to hire somebody who's going to succeed him. He wants to retire. He wants someone to take over his business. And similar situation, you know, when you hire someone to be an entrepreneur, because that's really, it's a small, this is a small financial services organization. When you hire someone to take over an entrepreneurial organization like that, they have to be extremely independent, right? Mm -hmm. They have to be flexible. Um, and when he hires someone to come in and do this, he wants them to follow his process. Yeah. He wants them to follow it because they're his clients. It's his baby, right? The baby analogy is a great analogy page. Um, and he can't let go of the fact that this person could come in and do just as good a job, they just might not do it his way. And yeah. he mm -hmm. has probably gone through five or six people over the last 10 years who yeah. really, he wanted to pass this business on to. And so I've had to remind him multiple times, what's your end goal? 
to get out of the business, right? And get out of the business. <laughs> Hire this person and let them do that. And um, this last time, um, I, I don't think he's actually stepped out completely, but he has hired somebody and his backing his way out. So I think there's progress. But yeah, absolutely. The baby thing is, it, it's a difficult one because it's really uncomfortable. And you've put so much of your energy and life and effort into this that you want to see it succeed. Yeah. Yeah, you can understand the challenge at the same time as you can see what a roadblock it is. Absolutely. And I think too, you know, this is probably among my clients, the biggest of the can't get out of their own way issues because it, it, it causes more than just frustration with their people. If they want to grow professionally and you've got a leader who won't take their hands out of the business or let them do what they're supposed to do, they have no choice but to leave in order to keep growing because the ceiling's down, you know, they're, they're tamped down. You can only do so much. And I think, oh, yep. That's just, that's yeah. actually one of the other things on my list of things to talk about, which is not providing growth and advancement within a company. You know, you, when you bring someone into an organization, um, you have to give them a vision of the future. Like what, what are we trying to accomplish as an organization? Where are we headed? But where, how am I, how is this individual going to grow? What are you offering them? What sort of training and coaching and opportunities are they going to have working for you? Um, I think when you don't provide that, it, it really makes employees feel like they're stagnant and then they've got to go somewhere else to figure that out. Are you seeing the same thing? Oh, yes, very much so. Um, in fact, it, it it's a difficult topic because you can see the crash coming. <laughs> you, know? you can see it on the way. Sometimes you can even predict exactly when it's going to come to blows. But especially if you're hiring somebody that's really skilled, it's like, I'm a, I'm a big analogy person, but this is how I have to talk with my leaders to help them kind of jump into the boat, right? But you bring somebody into your organization that's capable of those things. And it's like bringing in a racehorse and not letting them out of the gate. <laughs> it Absolutely. just, yeah, they, they have to go. They have to run. They're made for that. You've hired them for that. And, and then if you don't let them, they, they have no choice but to go somewhere else. So when I have a leader who's saying, you know, how come, how come I have to keep doing this over and over again? The first thing I think is, all right, well, what happens when you bring them on board and, and going from there, that one major piece. Yeah. I've seen that too with my, uh, with some of my sales leaders who hire sales teams, yeah. they will, they will bring a new hire in and put them into a, a very effective training program, which is it's absolutely important, but then they'll stretch it out and won't let them get out on the track and run, you know? So it's, that that's what I see. The more high performance you, you are, and honestly, the, the more successful you are in hiring the right person, the more you have to let go and get out of their way. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and there's a fine line. So let's talk about this for a second. I want to extrapolate on that because you know, when you have a top performer, when you have that racehorse, when you have that person 
who can do all the work with their hands tied behind their back. Right. And, um, but you can't get out of their way. Sometimes part of getting out of their way is allowing them to circumvent the system or mm -hmm. to, um, not, um, to maybe let them run on a separate track, right. Than everybody else. But there's a fine line between that because when you start letting somebody who is a top performer do things their own way and the other employees are watching that occur, um, there's also becomes this talk. They may be a racehorse. They may be a top performer, but if they're create, if you have to let them do those things in order to be that way, what sort of toxicity is it creating amongst your other employees and what are they seeing? And, um, what um, are they starting to feel hold grudges against? Um, what what do you uh, do you see any of that? I do. I actually really do. I'll tell you where I see it most um, is in hiring sales teams mm -hmm. because um, I'll see I'll see leaders bring on somebody who maybe comes from a competitor or basically has a client base uh, relationships already intact. And, um, and for the rest of the team, I, I there's, and th this happens in a lot of places, not just in one client, but you'll see in this case, the team knows they're coming on and they can see uh, almost like, almost like they can tell, okay, we have to deal with the sales manager way too much. That person's not going to be touched at all. And you end up with kind of a, a diva personality on one side that uh, nobody ever says anything about. And the rest of the team ends up feeling either micromanaged or, I mean, the unfairness of it is, is really right up there with what you're talking about. It, it breeds resentment on the team. And, and it bleeds out in different areas. The team starts to anticipate that this one player is not ever going to have to toe the line or follow the rules or um, be accountable in the same way as that the rest of the team has to be. It makes the rest of the team feel like it doesn't matter what they do. Right. So that's when um, I'll start to see people disengage. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, it's going to be like that. It's not going to change. You know, I just, I'm going to, I'm going to back out. I'm not going to commit to this anymore, but you, that's, that's what you see. I think it affects everybody else's energy. Mm -hmm. um, but it, in, in terms of toxicity, it really works against um, each individual player feeling like their contribution matters. Right. And if you have this top performer, you know, maybe their quota, maybe what they bring in is, you know, 50 to 80% of, of your revenue line. And then everybody else is bringing in smaller amounts. So you justify it, right? Mm -hmm. What happens if you stuff that team? Um, how much is that going to hurt you and, and rehiring and retraining and, mm -hmm. and all of that. So I think what, what do you how would you coach your clients on that? What would you tell them to do? Well, 
<laughs> I think this is an interesting subject to apply to a sales team. Mm -hmm. um, just to keep with this example, you know, because as soon as you raise the, the talent level in certain places, and that's really how it's perceived. If you're bringing on somebody that comes in with their own relationships and their own way of doing it, things, um, everybody else feels like they're being measured against that one person, but the rules are all different for them. So we're defeating morale and, um, and defeating that engagement that you're trying to gather from them on a regular basis anyway. And, um, I'm sorry, what was your question? I got so invested in that's okay. lost track. Now, how would you coach a client around that? Oh, like how would I coach them? Yeah, you know, I don't know that I've really been able to coach clients well in that category. Um because it's just lopsided. And yeah. and every every company that I deal with is bringing some type of a product into the market and the sales and driving revenue is it feels like it's the biggest priority. Um, and so making some of those changes, bringing somebody onto the team that's got a disproportionate um, amount of either attention or clients or um, reputation or any number of other things, I think it um, is very difficult to bring back into focus the things that will balance out the team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But inviting them into team events sometimes is one of the things that you can do. Just try to build some camaraderie. But I, I, I can't honestly say that I've, I've had a scenario where there was an answer simple enough to coach to it. Yeah, I think um, it, I yeah. think it's situational. But I also mm -hmm. think as much as possible setting expectations before you bring that person on board and communicating with both sides, right? With the individual you're bringing on board and saying, hey, listen, this is what this is gonna do inside my organization. And these are your teammates. And right, setting that expectation for the collaboration and the camaraderie. And um, if that's what you want, right? But the key is knowing what you want, being able to define the expectation and the culture, and then setting that up ahead of time rather than letting it happen accidentally or organically um, by saying, okay, are we going to have individual salespeople who don't interact and don't collaborate and they're going to do their own thing and they're strictly rewarded based on, based on what they bring in. Okay. Then you're setting the expectation, right? Um, or are we a collaborator? Are we a relationship builder? Are we, and we're, here's the expectations and you coming in, Mr. Hot, you know, hot to trot guy or gal, um, then maybe, maybe we need to change the way we're currently doing it to meet the um, new person coming in. You know, I don't know why it hasn't occurred to me, but the pre-coaching in that situation sounds like it would be much more effective than after the fact. For sure. Ah. I think it's all but always... For me, it's defining expectations is half the battle, right? If you don't define the expectation up front, then what happens is everybody comes in with their own perspectives and their own learning. And it's all different because we're all, we all have different frame ref, references. 
Um, and so we look at that and we, we put our own emotion into it or we don't see emotion into it. Right. And both of those can be good and both of those can be bad. And so if we set, if we define it up front and say, here's what has to occur, here's how things are different. What are we going to do about that? And where, which direction do we want it to go moving forward? Then we can Mm -hmm. set that expectation and make some changes ahead of time, um, has been my coaching in the past, but, um, it's, it is situational and you really do have to look at who it is you're bringing in and, you know, maybe they will only come in under certain, um, circumstances. And so are you willing, but if you're willing to do that for one, your opportunity for the others has to be the same. Otherwise it doesn't have, they don't have to have, I think there's some misconception about what we provide employees and how everything has to be exactly the same. I don't think that's true. I think Mm -hmm. what we provide them has to meet their needs and their Mm -hmm. expectations. And so if they need, if one person needs something to be successful, then that person yeah. should get that one thing to be successful. Um, and so it doesn't have to be necessarily equal. It has to be, what are we setting? How do we set this person out? And if the other person needs that same thing to be successful, then they should receive that as well. Um, but if they don't, then you have to decide is that, you know, how are we, what's our structure and what's our, um, what are our expectations? I think that if you have the expectations set, then that makes that a whole lot easier to determine. You're giving me a lot of ideas. So I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I have to go have a few of these conversations <laughs> on the other side of this. Um, because you're absolutely right. I think people can handle a lot. They can work hard. They can do a lot. But when things seem unfair on the team, that's like the death knell, you know? Yep. Very interesting. I think one of the other things that gets in the way for leaders, um, and tell me if you see this, um, is not being transparent. It's not sharing. Okay, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what the organization is struggling with. Um, there's all these secrets and this person gets this package, but nobody knows what's really in it. And this person gets this, nobody knows what's really in it. Well, well, if you have to keep it a secret, there's a reason you're keeping it a secret because something's not equal or something's not fair or something's not on the up and up. Right. Whereas if we can be transparent and explain in the situation, this person needs this for this reason. And if you need that, I'm willing to provide that for you. Um, but bringing people into the conversation, it often diffuses a lot of the emotion and a lot of the, um, hostility that occurs because things don't look fair. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a, a really good example of that is, um, there's a company and I forget which company it was to be honest. Um, but there was a company that, um, we're going to have to do some layoffs and they decided that they were going to take it to the organization. And they just said, here's our struggle. Here's what's happening. And the employees all agreed to do some rolling time off. You know, we'll take two weeks off without pay. We will, um, uh, take this much cut in pay. This department's going to take this much cut in pay. This department as a whole, nobody lost their jobs. 
everybody kept their jobs and the organization came together. I think that's the power of transparency is huge. So in that same situation, you know, sharing, here's what he's bringing to the table. What would be fair for you to make sure you get what you need to accomplish that same level of performance? Wow. And just the discussion. It, that it sounds it sounds wonderful. I can't say I've ever seen that in practice anywhere. So I mean, to your point, it probably would have amazing benefits. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, what does it take to be that transparent? It's a trust thing, right? Absolutely, trust is huge. What else yeah. do you see? What else is getting in our way? So I see the flip side of being too involved. I see um, I see leaders who have grand ideas, but they're not very well articulated. They'll just throw the baby at the team and say, go after it. Ah, okay. And not give enough for people to really go and tackle a problem or a challenge. Yeah. I definitely see that too. Okay. Well, they can, they can do it. I do it. They can do it. And, and it's literally the flip side of the argument. Yeah, yeah. Not sharing enough of the vision or the expectation. I think, again, expectation, right? I want mm -hmm. you to do this. Well, mm -hmm. if I go do that, I can do that. I can answer the phone. But what do you want to happen because I'm answering the phone, right? Because <laughs> right. I can answer the phone and just go, hello, and hang up. And hello, I'm answering the phone. But right. servicing the person on the other end and setting that expectation, I think that's the key. I think that's where a lot of leaders, what a lot of leaders are lacking is that vision, right? Mm. What is the vision? What is the, what do we want the end goal to be? Mm -hmm. And um, are being able to articulate that. Yeah. Well, then I don't know if you see this. So tell me if you don't, but very often the leaders are not the strategists they might be the visionaries but actually you know spelling out the a to z isn't necessarily their strength all the time absolutely and i think i think that's okay if they have but they have to have people on their team that are the strat that are those the strategists right they have the vision mm -hmm. They have that and they could, they should stay involved in that conversation, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. people around you that can put structure to the vision. Yeah. But you have to have the expectation defined really well. So the, the key is defining the expectation. What do we want to occur? Yeah. And then rallying the troops and inspiring the troops. Mm -hmm. I want to strategize that right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Time, the missing piece is they just say, Hey, I want you to do this. Yeah. And there's yeah. no, why are we doing this? Like what, right. What are we, what's going to happen if we do that? Like, what are the outcomes? Right. I think mm -hmm. that's where the, where the rub is. Yeah. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Agreed. You may have, um, all the willingness in the world coming from your team, but no instructions or, you know, or, or like you said, the, the, how, the, why, the, who, the missing pieces that, that give it structure. And 
right? Yeah. I've worked for both. Exactly. <laughs> that is challenging in both directions. I have yeah. Too. Absolutely. And I think, again, the key is really communication and, mm-hmm. and having the conversation and hashing it out, right? Let's, let's challenge each other, be okay with being vulnerable and building that trust and not reacting to, mm-hmm. to things, but having high emotional intelligence. I think that's one of the keys to success is high emotional intelligence. And they've proven that, right? Like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. valuable thing you can bring into your organization um, or learn and grow in is emotional intelligence. And now we can measure for that. So we, there's no excuse why we're not doing it. Um, but I don't think enough people know about it. And so if you have leaders who are high, highly emotionally intelligent, they can sit down and have that conversation, but it's a tough one. It's a tough it one. It's a tough one. I think um, to your point, not enough people know that that's something you can measure. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Absolutely it is. And I think unlike behavior, behavior is difficult to change, right? We, we have mm-hmm. to actually go through cognitive behavioral therapy to change behavior. It's why it's hardwired in us. Um, We can stretch and get outside of it, but we always come back to who we are in the moment. So um, that that's behavior, but emotional intelligence is learned. We can actually train it and develop it. Really? It is. Absolutely. Yeah. And we can measure it in a hiring situation. You can measure and understand how, what level of emotional intelligence is this person bringing into the organization, number one. And number two, if you need them because maybe they're bringing a book of business or they are, um, uh, they, are um, they have a skill that you can't find in yeah. the marketplace, right? You've, you're right. for that. Sometimes we have to hire this individual, but if they're low on emotional intelligence, it's trainable. So as long as you're investing in that training and development, they'll probably be okay. But if you're not investing in that training and development and you know they have low emotional intelligence, it's likely going to cause chaos. So um, yeah, but we're off on a tangent. Let's go back to- It's a great tangent though. I mean, because I did not know it was trainable. Yeah, it's learned. And so, I mean, that's a really, that's like an aha moment for me. I think I just thought it was a, you have it or you don't have it. Nope. It's actually learnable. Wow. 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 All right. Well, there are a lot of things that I have to unpack about that. Anybody else listening is interested. I have contacts that do that training. So let me know and I can connect you with those individuals, but yeah, go ahead. On the show notes, right? Right. Right. What? What else do you see? That yeah. I see leaders who say what behaviors they want, but don't model them themselves. That's a big challenge. That's a huge challenge. And I think, what do you, where do you think that comes from? And what do you, how do you catch it? Hmm. I mean, no. Really tough one to coach. Right. Do you think that they um, are doing it blatantly 
are they doing it because they don't know they're doing it or is it all of the above yeah i have seen i've seen both um people who do it unknowingly and people who will just say well you know it's not my job so i want you to go do it i want you to do it this way but it doesn't apply to me because I, i'm the um, owner i get to do whatever i want right that's a great one yeah that's that's definitely something that i've seen um which I liken leadership to parenting a lot. And it's sure. the thing is telling your kid, don't do as I do, do as I say. <laughs> like if you've mm -hmm. been modeling that for them forever, it's what they know and it's likely wired. So yeah. you, can't, you can't ask your, you can't ask employees to do something you're not willing to do yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I see it, you know, going back to that original example, the, the client I had that was, stepping all over the sales deals. Um, I think that in, inherent in that um, do what I tell you to do, but not what I'm doing is is really also the, the same following it up with getting in the way part. I mean, I, I don't honestly think I can come up with a situation where there's a leader I work with who is blatantly doing the do as I say, not as I do thing. I think it's more often just a lack of awareness. Do you have the right people around you telling you the things you need versus just yes people? Or that that's another one of the challenges though that we spill into leaders who surround themselves with people who won't challenge them is definitely a way of getting in their own way. But I, I do see that in combination with the, the do what I'm telling you to do, but not what I'm doing. But I think you're right. And that, that's super complicated, right? You touched on a number of things. You touched on, <laughs> you touched on um, their lack of awareness. Mm -hmm. You touched on um, them surrounding themselves with yes people. Mm. touched on creating a safe environment where I can tell you that yeah right? that's a big one and I think a lot of times leaders that's why I wanted to have this discussion because they're not aware that they're creating that those three things exist yeah a mm -hmm. lot of they don't understand they're not self-aware of their own behaviors they don't know how they're coming across and what they're portraying mm -hmm. to their teams uh, and they they don't want people to challenge them they want people to do what they say when they say and how high on the way up right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then when they don't they yell at them or they right. punish them or they don't talk to them for a week or they right and they right right that it's a way of, they may think it's a way of telling them they're displeased, but what they're really creating is this unsafe environment for them to yeah. change their own thoughts and growth and huge. Yeah. Yeah. Just that, uh, that, I didn't even see that I had, that I had touched on that, but you're, you're entirely right. Um, creating a culture of fear of reprisal is just enough to, to stall out anybody. If you can't tell your leader that they're freaking you out and it makes you afraid and you can't get past it either. I definitely have had leaders in that boat. Mm -hmm. um, and I do, 
I frequently see this with some of my international clients who come and launch in the United States, but they bring some cultural elements that aren't compatible in the U.S. And it makes sense that there is, you know, the need for cultural sensitivity on one side. And at the same time, they're kind of going into a new environment, behaving in ways that nobody does over here in the U.S. And you want them to be successful, but unless they can set down some of the things that work over there, but not here, they're not going to be able to be successful no matter how great the product is, the service is. But and it comes down to, to that fear of being able to be told that what you're doing is, is not working or not believing people when they tell you that's another challenge. You've, you've hired good people. You've brought them on board. They're telling you what you need to hear, but you don't believe them. Oh, okay. that's my favorite one is when clients do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet you hear that all the time, huh? They're paying an expert who's been in this industry. And I'm sure it's not just me. I, I know it's not just me, but they're paying for this advice and this coaching and and then they're like, no, that, that, that's not right. That, 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 no, can't do that. Okay. I mean, <laughs> if you want this outcome, something's going to have to change. What's it going to be? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think not trusting the experts, not, tr- and, and when you hire a, a sales leader, when you hire mm-hmm. a CFO, when you mm-hmm. hire a general manager, when you hire a dentist, right? That. Yeah. They're the expert. Right. They've been doing this a while. They know this industry. They know their their stuff. Unless you're hiring a new hire, that's a whole different conversation. But um, you know, like someone new to the field, then let them do their job. Trust them because mm-hmm. they, if you're if they're not successful, you're not successful. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they, mm-hmm. it is in their best interest to do what is right for you. Mm-hmm. yes so, it I'm, really is we have to get I think in, in some of the situations that I see when somebody has managed to hire um, really well it um, and then if they don't get out of the person's way to get their job done to do what they know they've been hired to do I think the stakes are very, very high for that person too, because if they stay too long in an organization where they aren't getting used, they're missing a necessary component of their career. That growth step becomes harder and harder to take for them. So I I think a lot is on the line, um, especially when you've had a good hire. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I see this a lot in organizations that are growing Um, we've started out as an entrepreneurial organization and we're entrepreneurial and we've been successful because we've been flexible, Mm -hmm. right? Because we don't have systems and processes (laughs) We'll adapt and move quickly and it's made us successful Mm -hmm. that we're growing, Mm -hmm. have systems or we need systems and we need processes for consistency and quality moving forward. Mm -hmm. We can't do it. They can't get out of that. Um, but we've never had to do that before and we've been fine. Yeah. yeah, but the 
you haven't had other people involved in the process that don't have your experience, that don't have your understanding. And so now we have to create this consistency and quality and we need that. And so I've actually seen it stall organizations because of that. Um, Or HR, HR is a really, really good one right now, I think. Um, Because organizations are struggling, I think across the board with um, talent management right now, because the employment economy has shifted significantly. We have to do things different and they're hiring good HR people who are in this industry or not in the industry, in this field, right? They're, they're knowledgeable. They're talking about what's going on in the workplace. They're in it every day and you hire them to come in and help you fix this but yet you don't want to change your management style and you don't want to change some of the rules of your organization and you don't want to change how you're paying people and you don't, you've just hired, get out of their way and let them tell you what needs to be done so that you can be successful. It's, we see, we're, I'm seeing that a lot in particularly those two areas. In HR, really? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the areas of the company where process um is really more obvious so I had a a as you just mentioned you know it's a high stake for the individual too so I just watched a talent acquisition leader for a large corporation walk away because she was not allowed to do her job I watched a, this is a good one. I watched a safety leader who had saved the company over $1.3 million on workers' comp compensation, compensation fees, you know, Yeah. Um, saved them that much over the course of a couple of years. He ended up walking away because the leader was a micromanager. Yeah. So we have to get out of people's ways and let them do their job. I think that's a good one. What else? What other ones do you have from it? We have a couple mm. minutes. So what are the what are the the really really good ones? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me think about. You know what? I'm gonna gonna check my phone real quick and see what because a lot of the messages are right here. I want to make sure I don't miss any of these great ones. Yeah. Um, Yeah, well, talked about favorable. Everything kind of comes back to trust, um, you know, unfortunately, but that's more fortunately. I think, um, you know, leaders who, I know what I was going to say, leaders who spread themselves too thin are not getting out of their own way. They're making trouble for themselves. Leaders who don't hire the skill sets that need to be there. Um, that's a big problem too someone who insists that they can do it all and should be the one doing it all, or they take back what they gave to somebody else to handle because it's not happening as fast as they think it should. Um, I think it is really challenging to change, no matter what the change is. And I think um, my mom used, huh? You and I are guilty of it too, right? Like we totally, everybody- issue it's pointing it out and helping each other and coaching each other through it and shining the light on it. I think the self-awareness is really yeah. 
this conversation is about. It's like being yeah. aware of what you're doing that's causing it and, yeah. and fix it or try to fix it, I think is the well, key. Well, and I think all change is first experienced as loss, even when it's good. Even when you're changing for the better, you have to be able to let go of what was. Right. You can't hold on to that and grab a hold of the new thing at the same time and, and be in both places. Yep. You have to do one or the other. People are not afraid of change. They're afraid of what they're going to lose in that change. You're absolutely <laughs> okay, a, good. Loss, yep. a loss that's that's going to occur there. Um, a couple more, a couple really easy things that I want to point out. Um, yeah. Not calling candidates back. Ooh, yeah. That's a That's big one right now. Um, if you're at all on social media in the hiring world or in the recruiting world, you're hearing candidates aren't hearing back. Um, mm -hmm. And they're blasting you on social. Mm -hmm. Don't go work for this company. Don't apply to this organization because they're not going to communicate with you. Right. Um, every single applicant should at least get an email from you at every stage of the process. Yeah. At the well, now you can automate those things. So there really isn't any excuse. Yes. And once you get down to the final steps in the process, those emails mm -hmm. should turn into phone calls. If you have a candidate who's a finalist for you, even in the top three, the top five, now should they should be personal phone calls because you're getting into a relationship it has mm -hmm. to be, and you have to treat it like a relationship, um, especially if you expect them to give you the same courtesy. Oh, yes. Like you communicate with me. Tell me what you need. Tell me what happened. Tell me what you're not coming in today. Right. Tell me why. I don't care that you're not coming in. Just tell me why you're not coming in. Well, well right. you should also call them back and let them know where they're at in the process. So yeah. that's one. Um the other one is letting people go or laying people off through text and email. Oh, I was I can't tell you how many times I hear about that. Right on a weekly basis, it, it's a, a massive amount. Yeah, and it's poor. You're you're setting you're you're letting everybody else in your organization know that they are just as expendable. That mm -hmm. you give them the courtesy of a phone call to say, hey, you were valued. We appreciate you. This is what has to happen right now. Um, mm -hmm. I just talked to somebody who was let go after being there for 20 years. And oh, it wasn't a, mm -hmm. was a firing, it was a layoff. And they got an email. Yeah. Like, after 20 years, that's like a slap in the face. Right. And we wonder yeah. why the younger generations aren't as committed to uh loyalty and our organizations right they're watching our parents their parents get just abused so yeah. um they're not going to again trust and vulnerability right if you you have mm -hmm. to work to create that trust and it takes time and it takes energy and it takes effort but if you want time and energy and effort from your people then you have to do the same absolutely absolutely yeah so yeah. What, any other last minute thoughts or ideas? Well, I would definitely, you know, just to kind of piggyback on what you were talking about a minute ago um, with regard to how 
leaders communicate with their teams or don't communicate with their teams. Um, oh shoot, I lost my train of thought. Look at this. You give me an opportunity and I and out the window it goes. Okay. Um, oh, I know. If it's just that I don't think that well, I'm not that I don't think I know most leaders don't understand exactly what happens in the talent pool when there's a vacuum of information. People will fill it and they will fill it with the worst possible thing they can think of. Give that, me a that is it. Uh well, okay, so just in the job search, if you don't hear from somebody, you always assume, well, that they're not interested in you, which even, you know, even today is happening with candidates that the companies are interested in. It, the talent market is way too hot to be um, quiet with your candidates. You should be communicating with them even when progress isn't being made in the search. Just a chance to say, Okay, I know you haven't heard anything. I don't even have anything great to tell you yet, but I know you're here. I'm listening. You know, that, and, and companies don't understand what goes back into the talent pool and how important it is. That buzz about whether or not you're a good company to work for will make you or break you in so many ways. Absolutely, Paige. That relationship goes a long, long, long way. It really does. It yeah. really does. Yeah. And when we see a company that's doing it right, they get talked about. They do. They absolutely mm -hmm. do. I had a client who, after every every candidate that he let go, now mind you, he's small, so he has the time to do this. After every candidate he let go, he did a little mini career coaching session with them. Like, here's oh. what I've learned about you. Here's what I think you need to explore. Here's some of the assessments we did, you know, on you and here's what they told me and what you need to think about and he had applicants applying for him all the time because those people talk and they're good people because good people know good people and so right. they're gonna send that is creating that culture that that leader spent that time and you think it's time wasted but it's not <laughs> you are investing mm -hmm. in people. And every time you invest in people, you will win a thousand times over. Guaranteed. Absolutely. It pays dividends. Guaranteed. You bet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage leaders um, to think about what would make you a passionate and dedicated employee to this work and this leadership mm -hmm. and the cause, and then do that, right? Don't underestimate, you know, and you know, most people know internally what the right thing to do is. And, and I think that right thing is the investment that needs to happen. So, mm -hmm. and um, for anybody who wants to level up their leadership, um, check out leapleadership.com. That is um, hiring strategies, leadership program that um, we would love to talk to you about, but it can help build some of this from the ground up. So um, we'd love to, to chat. Paige, I love you. Thank you for being oh, I love you too. <laughs> excited that you were able to join me today. I love your, your expertise and your experience and your knowledge about the recruiting world and candidates and employees is, is astronomical. So thank you for being here. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here with you and I am honored. Thanks a lot, Kim. Absolutely. Have a great rest of the day. All right. You too, hon. Bye.
Okay, bye-bye.